If you have your Bibles, would you turn to the book of Galatians? At this rate, you could pretty much open it anywhere in Galatians because I'm not quite sure where we're going to start. Okay, just keep your Bible open. Galatians 3, somewhere around there. I really believe there is a fresh move and awakening of the Holy Spirit across South Africa, and it's another grace revolution. And some of you are like, what the heck? That just sounds like some cool Christian lingo. And it is. <laughs> but I, what I mean by grace revolution is I, I, I really feel like over the last couple of years with the COVID culture and the stuff that came with COVID, not just the disease, it's very real, I get it. But the culture that came with it was this very controlling, legalistic culture that wants to set standards and regulations and forms that you need to meet. And if you don't, there's a certain perspective of who you are, right? That affects how we think. So that came into the mentality, and I actually felt even in my own heart over this last little while, the Lord just beginning to refresh a revelation of grace in my heart. Because let me just say this, when we talk about the law, yes, we're talking about the law of Moses, 613 laws, 10 commandments, absolutely. However, we're also talking about anything in our lives where we feel there is a requirement for us to perform or reach a certain standard to achieve something of what God wants to give us. That's when we talk about law, right? Anywhere in, in our Christian walk where we think we have to do something to get it. It's legalism. And here's the thing about legalism. Legalism settles for hype. Because legalism doesn't get you into his presence. It doesn't get you into his anointing. So it settles for hype. And I've shared this. I'm, I'm just going to repeat a lot of things because I, I believe the Lord's massaging this into our hearts. Um, I've been in a lot of settings recently um, in, in we've been traveling a bit and we've been all over, but in different settings where you can feel the desperate ache and longing and hunger in the church for the presence of the Lord. But because we don't have a revelation of the grace of God, what we do is we try to prove our devotion to Him, hoping that it's going to move Him in some way that we would receive Him. I call it the strain of devotion. And it's so sincere and it's so beautiful, don't get me wrong, the, the, the heart is so pure in that there's a deep desire for God. The problem is the way in which we're trying to get to that space is wrong. Because what, what we're doing is on the other side of this conversation with God of trying to get access to more of Him, He's on the other side saying, I, I've given you complete access. We have a, a desire for holiness in the church and in South Africa, amen? We want, to see, we want to see holiness. However, we've got to be real careful that when we start to preach holiness, we, we, we've got to be careful that we don't shift and start to become sin conscious. Right? We want to see holiness, but now what we do is we end up preaching a get your act together message. <clears throat> or, even worse, we mix the two. God loves you so much and there's nothing that you could do that could separate Him from His love, but make sure you've dealt with that hidden sin. <laughs> this is what we do, right? There's, there's only one thing worse than preaching pure law, and that's preaching law and grace together. I also realize, you know, for 24-7, we have preached the message of grace for, I don't know, 10, more than 10 years. And I realize that majority of the people in this room weren't here 10 years ago. 
right? Um, in fact, it's almost like God's done a whole new thing in 24-7 where we, I'd say more than two-thirds now, 24-7 church probably been here less than a year, which means there's just this like fresh thing that God's doing in the house. And, um, and so that, that blows me away, and I just go, Lord, whatever you want to do, do that. But I realize that there's the foundations of the gospel that need to be set in the house so that we can carry what he wants to give his church. We've been talking about David's tabernacle. We're doing this series, On Earth As It Is In Heaven, David's Tabernacle. We've been unpacking this, and I realized as we were teaching David's Tabernacle, the Lord started to work in my heart. Because I'm, I'm so excited about hosting his presence, right? Oh man, we want to host this. We want to get into the priestly rhythm of life. We want to see 24-7 prayer and worship happening in the local church. We want all of that. However... As I was unpacking this, and as we were teaching this, there was this like shaking in the church. And suddenly I've been doing more counseling than I think I've ever done. Right? And suddenly you're like, what, what the heck's going on, Lord? We're, we're going off to hosting your presence, and like every bit of nonsense that's been hidden and, and submerged and, and under all the other stuff of, of life is now coming up. And it's got to be dealt with. And I was like, Lord, what is, what's happening? And insecurities and all these things are happening. And the next thing the Lord says, Mark 11, let's go to Mark 11. And we go there and we, we read. And, and suddenly you see that Jesus comes in. And, and our favorite thing, my house will be called the house of prayer. When Jesus says that, do you know what that's in the context of? Whipping over tables, not people, tables and the, the junk and the stuff in the temple that's not in his heart. And so I felt the Lord speak to me and say, Connor, if you want to host my presence, I love that. That's what you were created and designed for. But you need to understand what that means. You need to understand that when we want to create a dwelling place for his presence, he's going to minister the finished work of Jesus to his church, right? Which means any form of furniture that we brought into the house that doesn't belong, he's going to remove. And we are the temple, right? I love um, one of our... our um, church plants in uh, Gaborone, the, uh, Dave, he leads the church there. He said something so beautiful. He said, the church is not a building, it's a family, but a family needs a home, yeah. right? So that just like removes the whole nonsense thing about buildings. Yeah, we need somewhere to gather, but the reality is we are the dwelling place. He rests upon men and women. Ian e. Bounds says it like this, the church keeps looking for better methods, better formulas, better organizations, better systems, better structures, and God is looking for better men and women because men and women are the method of God. God doesn't anoint systems and structures and plans. He anoints men and women. That doesn't mean we don't need structure. It doesn't mean we don't need systems. It just means we need the Holy Spirit. And I, I shared this a couple of weeks ago. Structure and what we do in the house has to be the overflow of what Holy Spirit has said. We don't put structure and then wait for Him to do something. Do you get what I'm saying? Structure and, 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 and um, administration in the church is to steward Holy Spirit, but not to control Him. The problem that I'm seeing more and more, and, and I, um, maybe before I go there, let me just say this. Firstly, if you don't know me, my name is Connor, <laughs> and I have the privilege of being on eldership in 24-7. These are my beautiful parents that planted this church however many years ago, um, and, and there's a high chance I've already offended you in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I'm going to offend you, or probably will in the next couple of weeks. It's okay. I've had to settle that in my heart. Um, Paul says, uh, you know, he doesn't live to please man, otherwise I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. So the reality is everything that I share from the pulpit is because I, I want to become this. It's never because I feel I've got something and I think you need to, need to get there, right? That's just, that's not it. We're in this together. We're opening the word together. We're receiving this together. Um, offense is just undealt with conviction. Oh. <laughs> 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 Whoppa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so what I'm saying is if we as a people, and I'm setting this up because we're going to dive into the grace of God and I promise you it's going to offend you. Um, and, and what I mean by that is 
we need to be a people that deal with conviction well, that we actually fall in love with conviction. I heard something last night that rocked me. Uh, it was a preacher who said this. He said, um, when we stop repenting, we stop falling in love. Repentance is the way of the righteous. It's not a moment for sinners. I think we've reduced repentance to sobbing at the altar because of how bad you are. Ooh. Okay, real quick. What, sin, what sins do you think the Lord wants you to confess? Everything, okay. I mean, it's a good answer. Do you know them all? No chance, right? So, so if, I, if I call for confession now, and I say, right, we're going to repent of our sin, you're going to come up here, and you're going to confess your sins, which ones would you choose? <laughs> Mario says the acceptable ones, yeah. yeah. But uh, do you get what I'm saying? So, so here's the thing. When we take scriptures about confession of sin, let's make sure we read it in context. Because what we call sin is actually fruits of one sin, unbelief. Why, do you, why are you stuck in all those different things? Because you don't believe who you are in Christ. Are you with me? This is so vital because what I'm about to say, if we don't catch this, it's going to make no sense. So, so maybe, and not maybe it's the truth, but it's truth. I'm just being, you know, polite. The gospel isn't so much about um, Jesus dealt with your sins, covered you, and now, now that he's given you a second chance, give it your best shot. That's not the gospel. And the scary thing is I think a lot of us live that way. I'm so grateful for salvation, now I feel like I need to prove my gratitude to him. And legalism comes back into the church. And the next thing you get, somebody who encounters Jesus, gets saved, and six months later they're back in what they were stuck in because they cannot walk out the Christian life without him. And the reality is we've got to be real careful. There's a, there, there's a great need for us to preach the full grace of God, which includes baptism of the Holy Spirit, the lordship of the Spirit of Christ in you, because the reality is there is nothing in the Christian life that you can become that you haven't first received. Nothing. Let me put it this way. You, you cannot be obedient until you've received the obedience of Christ. So what I'm saying is, I think we need to spend more time learning how to abide, more time learning how to receive by faith than we are trying to do things for God. And people go like, oh, when you say that, what you're going to produce is a passive church. Well, it's interesting that the people who learn how to abide produce the most fruit. And that sounds scriptural somewhere, doesn't it? John 15, apart from him, you can do nothing. It doesn't say you can't do anything. It says you, you can do nothing. In other words, whatever you do for God outside of him, it's nothing. So when we talk about the grace of God, it's important for us to understand we're not just talking about a, a get out of jail free card cover up. Thanks for making sure that at least I'm going to heaven. Now I'm going to do my best to be like you. It's not that. The grace of God is so wild. And we're going we're to dive into this for a second. When you, when you were created, 
or let's go even further back. When God created man, he created man with a purpose, with a design, right? That purpose and that design was oneness and intimacy with God. God wants a bride. That's what he wants. In the new covenant, we function as a body. We're built together as a dwelling place, but we're going to be a bride. He's not coming back for a robot, and he's not coming back for a building. He's coming back for a bride. We might operate as a body, we might host him like a building with living stones, but the heart is a bridal heart. So God wants intimacy. Let me say it like this. There's only one thing that you can actually give God. One thing. Only one thing. And it's intimacy. Because it takes two to make love known. So when you understand this, you can take the pressure off of performance because the reality is your performance doesn't impress him. What you can do for God doesn't impress him. You weren't created for that, by the way. Co-laboring with God is the byproduct of intimacy. It's not the purpose of why you were alive. Because what happens if today God picks you up, uses you to change the world, puts you down tomorrow, and says, okay, that's it, just love me. Is that enough? See, God dealt with my heart. I have a deep passion for the unreached and for the 1040 window of Middle East. We'll be there soon. I have a deep passion for that, but actually the Lord's used the local church to make sure that I'm grounded in the gospel. Otherwise, I'll make missions an idol. Otherwise, I'll make the Middle East more important than intimacy with God. And what I'll do is preach the Middle East at you instead of preaching Jesus and make sure that you have a relationship with Him. Because the reality is, yes, 3.2 billion people don't know Jesus, but there's far more people sitting in the church who don't even know Him, yet they're in the building every week. So yes, it's a crisis, it's all a crisis, but the reality is what we need to be doing is preaching the full gospel of Jesus so that we see our lives transformed. Do you get what I'm saying? So you were created for intimacy with God. Isn't it interesting that when he created Adam and Eve, he didn't give them the law? He didn't. What did he do? He made them in his image. So if God's first expression of relationship with man had nothing to do with man achieving anything. It was simply what you are because I made you that. Then we know God's heart was never for man to perform. It was always for man to be with him. Then we go on this journey. We know the fall happens. Sin enters into the heart of man. And from after that, we're born into, into sin with a sinful nature. And then it's interesting because you'd think, okay, then surely the law comes. No, it doesn't. There's a covenant with Abraham. And we know that this covenant with Abraham, Abraham believed and God credited to him as? Righteousness. The dude was a pagan, like, Wally, right? He was a freak. He was, he was doing some dodgy stuff, idol worshiper. And God comes and goes, you're righteous because I made you righteous. Do you believe? And Abraham says, yes. And he goes, okay, you're righteous. You, you're my friend. We can be together. I don't know if you, I mean, I'm, this is kind of law of the translation. I'm paraphrasing, right? But the reality is, this is, so God makes a covenant with Abraham, and it's a covenant of his righteousness, it's a covenant that requires faith. That's all. And after that, we see this journey with Israel, and then we get to Moses and the Israelites, and they leave Egypt. They go, and, and the purpose of leaving Egypt was to go into the wilderness to worship, which means God actually was inviting them to come get married to him again. <laughs> I just want to, I'm saying it like this so you catch the heart of God. So God's glory comes on Mount Sinai not to scare Israel. He's, he's ready for a wedding. He's saying, here I am come up the mountain, and they look at his glory, and they go, no ways, we'll die if we go there. Moses, you go. 
You go, and then you ask God what he wants, and we'll do it. And so Moses goes up, and Moses becomes a friend of God. <laughs> right? And God speaks to him face to face as a man speaks to a friend. That wasn't God's plan for Moses. That was God's plan for his people. But only one stepped into it. Israel asks, what do you want? Give us the standard. We'll achieve it. And God says, that's not what I want for you, but okay. Here's 10 commandments and 613 laws. That's the standard of holiness. If you miss one, you miss them all. The law is not evil. The law is holy, right? But the reality is, Galatians talks about how the law actually produces sin in you. So the law can't be God's way of measuring you and asking you to achieve that in order to enter in with him. The law actually is God showing you your need for him. The law is him saying, do you see that I didn't actually create you uh, to, for your attempt to be like me. I created you to receive what I want to give you. So the law comes in and introduces this, this standard of holiness and suddenly Israel realizes that's impossible. And so now God goes on this journey of teaching Israel about covenant, substitutionary death. You need a substitute to pay the wages for your sin, which is death, so they begin to slaughter bulls and goats. It's God teaching man something. Because the reality is if he brought Christ in in that moment, they'd have no concept for why he was coming. They needed to understand there's got to be a substitutionary death, a sacrifice that covers me. Every year this is what happened, and there's this journey, and God time and time again begins to show that his heart is actually for man. So, so we get to David, and David accesses the grace of God under the law. I don't think we catch that. There's a covenant that God makes with David. David's suddenly a man after God's own heart. The guy makes some serious mistakes, right? I mean, you're up on your rooftop and you see somebody else's wife having a bath and you think, pull in, baby, right? The guy was, there were some problems, right? Yeah, and then goes and kills, kills her husband, you know? It's just, and that's a man after God's own heart. So obviously, what was God measuring David by? Not his sin. So, but remember, this is under the old covenant. This is under the law. So David accesses a covenant with God, makes covenant with God, and catches God's heart, which is what? I want to be with you. So David realizes, why was David quick to repent? Because I don't know if, about you, but if, if you're under the law, it's, you don't even know what repentance really is because you're just so afraid of being wrong. You'd rather hide your sin and just keep everything under wraps. David wasn't like that. David, as soon as he realized he had sinned, the first thing he did was ran to the presence of the Lord. Now, that makes no sense when you see that Uzzah tried to stabilize the cart when they were, and, he, and he died by touching the presence of the Lord, and that's what you want to run? What did David catch? God's heart is for man to be in his glory. So David runs to the presence of the Lord, repents, and, and, and would rather risk death but be in that place with God. And God goes, you get it. I actually want to be with you. I don't come in my glory to scare you off. The fear of the Lord doesn't put you off intimacy. It welcomes you in. Are you with me? And so David catches this. Now I'm talking, we still got the law being worked out here, and David is accessing a covenant of grace. We see this whole journey. Long story short, we get to Jesus, and Jesus comes, and he embodies, or he, he takes us into himself, and he introduces a new covenant. And the new covenant is the greatest news you will ever, ever have the privilege of hearing. Because what he did was he said, I am going to fulfill the law and I'm going to put myself in you. Meaning the law will be fulfilled in you. 
It's not going to be something external that you're going to try to achieve. Now it's going to be something that I put in you and cultivate and develop in you because I'm good. So here's what Jesus does. He comes and he takes on humanity and he conquers it. So please don't ever come to me and say I'm only human. It's an insult to the cross. No, what we need to do is, is, is understand, embrace our humanity and just be vulnerable. Where the heck are we getting this stuff from? Okay, I know I've hit something there, sorry. But do you know, do you know that... To embrace your humanity is to deny the finished work of the cross. Now, let me explain that. Humanity after Adam <laughs> is fallen. It's why psychology can tell you what's wrong with you but can never fix you. Humanity by nature because of sin is fallen. So why would we settle for only being human when we weren't born for that? We were born to be in the image of God. So Jesus takes on humanity, conquers humanity, and then when he's crucified, we're crucified with him by faith. So he dies once and for all for every single son and daughter who would have faith in him, and he takes past, present, and future sin upon himself. I don't know, I, I could give you just lists of scriptures with once and for all. So you, you once and for all, once and for all. Are you with me? One sacrifice, he takes sin upon himself. Not just sin, he takes sickness, disease, infirmity, all those things. But let me summar summarize it like this. He takes separation from God upon himself. And every single one of us died with Christ. Then he conquers hell and death, and he's raised to new life, and we're raised with him by faith. Meaning this, when you receive Jesus, when you give your life to Jesus... It is not just an act of dealing with your sin. You're not even just changed. You're new. See, I grew up in church. I grew up, went through all my junk, all my stuff, whatever. And the reality is even knowing about Jesus, knowing, feeling His presence, being touched by Him, being in the environment, all of those things were beautiful. But it was only when I realized that I died that I became a new person. And one of my favorite aspects is when my wife says to me, your personality changed. Because we were dating all the way up to that point. Then at 21, I got baptized again, had a revelation of the gospel. It was such a beautiful moment. I came out the water and I was like, oh my word, the pleasure of God. I'm, I'm different, something happened. And my personality changed. My desire started to change. There was this, this transformation journey of becoming like him. And, and we're, we're continuing on that journey. But what was amazing is that I was one thing and then I was not. That's the gospel. The grace of God doesn't just cover you, it makes you brand new, okay? So when you're raised with Christ, you receive the resurrection life of Jesus. And let me, I like to picture it like this. You were in your dirty, yucky, gross, horrible, messed up sin, right? And it sucks down there. It's nice like in the moment, right? But it sucks because you're just perpetuating the same cycle of junk, junk, junk. So Jesus picks you up out of that. And he doesn't just polish you and shine you, otherwise he would just be polishing a turd, you know? He doesn't do that. He picks you up out of the junk, and he begins to redeem and transform you. And suddenly, you're this beautiful, shining, radiant son of God, covered in the blood of Jesus inside and out. He takes you, and he makes you like him, and then he doesn't stop there, right? I mean, that would be, that's, that's actually where most of us stop in our heads, is thank God that he covered me in his blood, and at least now I know I'm going to heaven. 
But he doesn't stop there. He takes you, and Colossians says he presents you before the Father, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Non-stop. All the time. Not on your good days. In your worst, most horrific, horrible, evil moments, he, Jesus is your advocate, according to 1 John, who's presenting you before the Father. And what he's saying is, this is your beloved son. This is your beloved daughter in whom you're well pleased. She looks like me. He looks like me. And the Father is looking at you and he has made a covenant with himself. Hear me. He has made a covenant with himself that he will never again see your sin. He will only see himself. So tell me again why you need to come up here and confess all the things you've done wrong. Tell me again why you need to ask him for forgiveness again. This is what I picture in my head, and God set me free from this. I used to come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, and like I was of just the guilt and the shame every time you'd make a mistake. God, please, I'm so sorry again. How could I? I'm so messed up. Please forgive me. Time and time again, until you know what happened, I had an encounter with Jesus where on the other side of that conversation was a God saying, I already did. I forgave you 2,000 years ago on the cross. I paid for this sin 2,000 years ago. You think this one shocked me? You think this one caught me off guard? What do you want me to do? Get back up on the cross and die another again? It wasn't, oh, it wasn't enough. No, it was enough. So now he's saying, come and receive what I've given you. So, so something changed in my heart, and this is when I got free. When I came to him and I thanked him for who he says that I am and what he's given me, that I am forgiven. And then my heart was free. Suddenly I shifted from trying to ask him for something that he's already given me to receiving what he's given me and saying, God, thank you. Thank you. And if we have a problem with that, it's because we still have this arrogant and pride attitude where we think we can actually achieve something. God, please forgive me this time. I'll get it better next time. I'll do it better next time. That's just not. Are you with me? So Jesus presents you before the Father. Now, isn't that incredible that not only did he change you, well, not change you, make you brand new, but he actually presents you before the Father. But guess what? He doesn't stop there. Because he didn't just want you to be called a son or a daughter. He actually put his spirit inside of you so that you're not just walking around with a title, you're actually living like one. You're actually living like a son or daughter, meaning you're gonna look like Jesus. What he did on the earth, you're gonna do, but then he says something crazy in John 12. He says, greater things. <laughs> greater things. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because the grace of God has given us free access to receive the Holy Spirit, and when we walk in the spirit, we, we cannot help but become like him. See, I believe the reason why we're seeing people in the church, uh, you know, give their lives to Jesus, they encounter the Holy Spirit, they receive the Holy Spirit, and they, then they journey, and, and unfortunately many, of, many people in the church are still stuck in perpetual sin. And, and the grace of God is so wild and so incredible that God doesn't look at it. In other words, he'll still use you, he still loves you, the gifts are without repentance. He doesn't give you grace measured to how well you're doing. He gave you the fullness of his grace. Meaning this, the grace of God is so wild that even if you continue in sin, he's madly in love with you and he still sees his son. Let's not dilute it. Arcana, you're a hyper grace preacher. Amen, absolutely, yes I am. There is no other type of grace. It's super abundant. But let me promise you this. There is no man or woman on the face of the earth that's truly received the revelation of grace and continued in perpetual sin. The reason for perpetual sin in the church is because we don't have a full revelation of the grace of God. So the answer is not to get people to confess their sin. The answer is to preach the fullness of the gospel. 
The answer is not to get you to reassess your life and make sure that you fix some of that stuff. The answer is you need to die to yourself and receive Christ by faith and come into newness of life. Amen. Let me just say this. If, it, if this, this was the only message that saved me, I went to one of the top psychologists, clinical psychologists in South Africa, and I think, I don't know, it was six sessions or something like that, and by the end of those six sessions of deep, deep conversation about all the stuff that was wrong with me, this is the conclusion that we came to. You're broken. And now we've got to put things in place in your life that are going to help you deal with this. And, uh, and basically, this was the description I got from a top psychologist, an amazing man. But this is all that psychology can do for you. He said, imagine you lost your arm. You would have to learn to live life without that arm. That's what's happened to you, Connor. You need to learn how to deal with certain things and put systems in place in your life that will stop you from going back to those things, right? And I had enough Holy Spirit in me in that moment to go like, this cannot be true. Like, I didn't, I didn't know what the answer was yet, but I was just sitting there, I was like, I had enough of Holy Spirit in me to go like, can't be. Because if that's the reality, kill me now, right? If that's how this thing works, w there's no hope. Then don't talk to me about good news. So what did I do? I was like, I need to find the answer, and I just went straight into the gospel. I was like, Lord, because my thing was, it was never about whether God was real or not. I knew he was real. And it was never about whether he was good or not. I knew he was good. I was just horrible, right? So my journey wasn't like, God, prove yourself. My journey was, how the heck do I get to you, right? I, I, it makes no sense to me when people are questioning God. I'm like, you're going to question him. How, just before you get to have a look at yourself. It's funny how we do that, hey? No, it's God. He's just, I don't is he even there? Well, where are you? Right? So that's where I was at. So suddenly when you know he's a good God, and you look at yourself and you go, this is, so ran to the gospel. Suddenly, I'm reading the gospel. The gospel's coming alive. And I thank God for, for grace preachers who preach the gospel in fullness, who paid a price for that. Because suddenly I was like, God's plan for me is not to upgrade me. God's plan for me is not to fix my problems so that I can go back to being what I was before I made any mistakes. God's plan was that Connor Blair Lauder, who he is outside of Christ, dead. Dead. Finished. Because here's the thing. Before you receive Jesus, everything that makes you who you are is coming from brokenness and insecurity. That's why, where we get words like introvert and extrovert. You either, you either defended yourself by getting loud or you defended yourself by going inward. And then, and then that defined your personality. Now, I'm an introvert, and the reality is, no, it's just because you reacted to the experiences of life a certain way and cultivated that kind of personality. And then what we did was psychology justified it. So now, it, it's, I have a filter through which I view obedience. It's called my personality. It's garbage. But do you see how I'm, I'm saying this, and all of you are like, your minds are like, no way. Right? Because this is how we live. Right? You're only called to be an evangelist if you're extroverted. Because you don't know my personality. I'm not going to stand on a table and preach the gospel in a shopping mall. What if the gospel is not about your introvert or extrovert personality? What if it's about the nature of Jesus? And what if you were created unique and different to be a unique expression of his nature? What if it's not about introvert or extrovert? What if it's about love? Because the thing about Jesus is there were some moments when he was standing up at a festival and going, anyone who's thirsty, <laughs> can you imagine going to your mate's wedding, right? And everyone's having a great time and you stand up and go, hey, everybody who's thirsty, come to me. I guarantee they'd be like, 
free beers on him, right? <laughs> so there's Jesus, an expression of love. One moment he's standing up there and he's getting everybody's attention. And then another moment, there's a whole crowd of people that are saying, you're the best, let's crown him king now. And he disappears. Jesus wasn't an extrovert and he wasn't an introvert. He was love. And the thing about love is that love is purely based on who? Christ. Because he is love. It's the nature of God. The grace of God sets you free from you so that you can receive his nature and be who you're called to be. And the reality is, Rich is going to express Jesus in a unique way that's different to me, but it's the same marks. It's the same Christ. So as the church, let's stop holding each other accountable to our sins and let's start holding each other accountable to our destiny. Because that's when true freedom comes to the house. Do you, know, do you know what's funny? Do you know how many times I've preached this? But do you know that every time I preach it, it's like, wow. <laughs> right? It just shows you how like, messed up our minds are. We need, we need the mind of Christ. See, if we don't get delivered from legalism, performance, and a self-righteous attitude towards the gospel, then we're, we're never going to walk in the true manifestation of his kingdom. The grace of God brings us to a place where we can truly receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit not just is one with your spirit, that happens when you get saved, but when you're baptized, in other words, when you're completely immersed and submerged in Him, when He is Lord of every decision, your life completely changes because here's the thing. There is not a single thing that you do in life without His voice. That's what a spirit-filled life looks like. There's nothing that you do without him. There's nothing that you do without his voice. In other words, one of the most horrific, messed up, but very clever strategies of the enemy is this subculture of independence that's created, right? And it's clever because this creeps into the church and suddenly we feel this need to be independent, and I find it interesting that a large portion of what that message is targeted at is women. Prove yourself. Independence. It's not in the gospel. The gospel is a complete dependence on the all-sufficiency of Christ. You are not sufficient. You, independence is death. Do you hear what I'm saying? I don't see now you hear this and you might be like, oh, like I kind of like the grind, yeah. Well, here's the thing: that was the best news ever for me because I know outside of Jesus I suck, yeah. right? I know. <laughs> so independence to me now is like I don't want to be independent. Why would I want to be independent when independence means I have to do it myself? <laughs> Dependence means I get to lean on the all sufficiency of Jesus. He's awesome. Yeah. He's he's perfect. He's complete. He's whole. I get, to, I get to live in the all-sufficiency of Jesus, and then He is so in love with me that He's going to partner with me, and what's going to come from my life is His all-sufficiency. Oh, my word. That's a reason to wake up every morning. Right? Now I'm truly free. I'm free from me. I'm in Him. Now I can actually live in the Spirit, right? So Holy Spirit's going to minister the all-sufficiency of Jesus to you, and, and he, what, he, what He leads you in is a dependence on Him. It's called Lordship. He's not Lord of your life if you're not dependent. 
Do you get me? You know, I, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Did you? Interesting that you said accepted, because that's also not in the Bible. But you gave your life. And if you gave your life, it's not yours anymore. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? So there's a death to myself. I've come alive in Him. He's now Lord of my life. He's my master. I'm in love with Him. He's in love with me. We have intimacy and oneness. He leads me. He speaks to me. There's nothing that I do in my life outside of Him. And that's why life is a joy. Because when all else is failing, the all-sufficiency of Christ sustains me. He's my provider. He's my source. He's everything that I need. He's the one who makes me righteous. I don't do anything in my own efforts. I live in Him. And because of that, I carry the answer to a dying world, meaning anything that's in lack, that doesn't have Christ, I get to, from the source, bring the all-sufficiency of Christ. That's the grace of God. This is what transforms our lives. So when you receive the Holy Spirit, He leads you in that. And here's the beautiful thing. He leads you in, in a dependency on Him and on His church. You, you can't be independent of the church because then you're not a true son or daughter. True sons and daughters don't leave the house. I can, I can live on the other side of the world and, and say that I'm my mom and dad's son, but if I have no relationship with them, never in their house, don't even know how they live their lives, I'm just completely disconnected from them, I'm actually an orphan. Right? Or let me put it this way, living like one. So the reality is, even if the house isn't perfect yet, Jesus is still working, a son who understands the grace of God, a daughter who understands the grace of God, is dependent on that house even though it's imperfect because Christ is founded at the center of the, the lampstands and then he writes letters to them and actually tells them a couple things he wants them to work on. Meaning Jesus is very secure with being found in an imperfect church. Which means I have no reason at all to have any opinion about the church other than what Christ thinks of her. That stops me from being offended by the church, being hurt by the church. Well, I don't want to go to that church. That church hurt me. No, you're just insecure. Because are you following people or are you following Jesus? If you're following Jesus, you're free. Did you deal with the conviction or did you leave it undealt with and you became offended? Get me. Okay, that's the foundation. <laughs> you guys said you were in for six hours, right? That's, yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you guys are gonna, you're measuring yourself to fire and fragrance. These are, they just sold everything they had to go to the other side of the world. You have nowhere to go now. <laughs> I'm teasing. See, here's the thing about the Holy Spirit, and I'm realizing this more and more. I think a lot of the church comes into the environment of where Holy Spirit is, experiences Him in the room, and maybe even feels Him touch you. And then we equate that to being filled. And the problem is, now because of that, what we've got is a group of Christians that think being baptized in the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit is one of the things that you do when you get saved, and then you go on with life. And the, the, the thing is, what happens is there's a shift that comes because we begin to treat the Holy Spirit like an atmosphere, or like a vibe, or like, or we begin to treat the Holy Spirit and the anointing like it's something that comes on me like a weapon that I get to wield and use. And then what I do is, the way that I live my Christian life, is trying to move God in a way that I can use Him. 
And the thing is, God will never be used. So whatever you're using isn't him. And what it's producing is a pseudo-spiritual thing in the church, and it's not real. And there's no power. There's hype, but there's no power. So now we call revival, oof. Now we call revival a meeting where we get together, manipulate and control people with emotional pressure, get them to come to the front and weep about how bad they are, give them a high five and say, now our city's changed. I'm not being horrible, and that came out really harsh. I didn't mean it harshly, but do you hear what I'm saying? We had revival because people realized their sin. And what did they walk away with? This is happening in the church across the world. And then we have revival nights. Like revival comes for two and a half hours, and then it lifts. Revival means dead things come to life. The emphasis of revival is life. So the dangerous thing is that because we don't know how to partner with the Holy Spirit in many ways, we now manufacture something that we call the Holy Spirit, and what it produces is hype, and we use manipulation and control to try and move people in a certain way to get a certain response that we've defined as revival. Instead of realizing that the way we partner with Holy Spirit is by yielding, and He picks you up and uses you. Do you see the difference? It's why guys like Evan Roberts in the Welsh Revival sometimes wouldn't get up off a seat. Worship's finished. We've got this awesome pastor, young pastor, revivalist. Man, God is hitting Wales. It's such a good thing to have Pastor Evan Roberts in the house. Woo-woo! Come on, Pastor Evan Roberts, come preach the gospel. And the dude just sits in his chair. Won't get up. So then silence hits the room. It's pretty awkward. Pastor sits down, and we're all just sitting there. Probably find some people get up, walk out. He's not moving. Eventually, one of the pastors actually asked him, dude, what the heck? Like, we're waiting for you to preach. And he says, when the when Holy Spirit ministered to me and spoke to me before this revival broke out, he said one thing to me, do nothing outside of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm not getting off this chair until I feel Holy Spirit tell me to. And eventually they learned this thing, and then they knew if he wasn't getting off the chair, there was going to be no preaching. And then it would be like, well, we wait. Let's see what God wants to do. See, that's, that's the reality of God in the church. That's not us playing service. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? It's why maybe if it was your first time here today, the worship, you were going like, sure, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, 35 minutes, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, 45, you, this took 45 minutes, 50 minutes. Oh no, it's an hour, surely, right? And that's okay. But the reality is today wasn't for you. That last hour of worship actually wasn't for you. To be quite honest, don't really care if you felt it was good or not. Yeah. Do you know what happens? There's so many things going on in my head here. Lord, help me. Do you know what happens when we, when we don't yield to the Lordship of, of the Spirit of Christ in us? Is because we manufacture these things, um, we begin to shift into the flesh. And we do things in the flesh, right? What I mean by that is in your own effort. And if, you, if you're in your own effort, what are you back under? Law. Meaning what? Now you're performing. And I know as a leader, I've had many times, and it's not anybody's fault, it's what we sometimes cultivate when we do things in the flesh. I have had times where I stand up before people and I can feel the emotional pressure of, do something, buddy. Prove it. 
I came here for an encounter. Have you got a word for me? You prophesied over that person seven times in the last two months, and I got nothing. Who said that? <laughs> what happens is we begin to settle for emotional pressure. And can I just say this very, just I'll drop this in, I'll unpack this in the future weeks. Do you know what witchcraft is? Witchcraft is using any other spirit other than the Holy Spirit to control, manipulate, intimidate, or dominate somebody else. That's, and it starts in the flesh. I don't know if you know that. Witchcraft is actually, it's a carnal thing first. It's a fleshly thing first, and it degenerates into the demonic if it's not dealt with. How much in the church is man trying to control, manipulate, intimidate, and dominate under the guise of Holy Spirit, using His name, it's blasphemy. It's coming out a lot heavier than I thought it was going to come out, sorry. What I mean is, the good side of this is that, is that when Holy Spirit operates, He gets the glory we become good representations of his heart, and we don't get to dictate to him how the meeting goes. We just come into agreement with him and make ourselves willing and available to be used by him. It's why so many people in the last while have come to me and they've pointed out many areas in 24-7 church where we need structure, right? Why, why don't we do this? We need that. We need that. Where's the system for new people, right? We join the church and where's the sign-up sheet and all that? And I'm like, I get you. I love you so much. But the reality is he hasn't said any of that yet. Right? I actually, this week, uh, we were talking to friends of ours. I said, leading 24-7 church is like holding on to Jesus for dear life and saying, okay, Lord, just as long as you take me with you. Because his church is not measured by whether we're successful or not. He's building his church. So I've, we've come to a place as an eldership team where we ask these questions. Lord, what do you want? Because there's a pressure sometimes to do certain things to please you rather than to please God. And the reality is that's not why the church exists. And I'm, prom I'm just saying this to you, I struggle with that. As a leader, like my, I'm just being transparent with you, one of my biggest journeys in the Lord is that I actually love you very much, right? So my desire is that you'd be happy and like being here, right? And then uh, I had a prophetic word that came recently and, and the word was um, you're, you're feeling obliged to be nice and you're not rising up in your authority and dealing with what you need to deal with. And I was like, thanks Lord. But the reality is, the more I'm understanding this, the more I'm realizing the, the strategy of the enemy is to get you to take your eyes off of him and put on yourself again. And when we do that, do you know what I felt in the last little while? I'm just being transparent because I'm covered in the blood and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to get rebuked by my dad later. <laughs> I'm teasing. My dad's way worse than me. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I thought, yeah, he's a powerhouse. Just good Friday. You want to be on Friday. You're going to get, pff, you're going to get plastered. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Do you know what, what happened in the last little while? Like as Jason and I have stepped into a, a new role and my parents are incredible with the way they fathered us in, in learning how to be visionaries. And um, it's been such a beautiful space because they, they've given us so much grace to risk and to try things, but they've also been such a, a safe place for us. But I realized in the last two weeks what crept into my heart was the pressure to be a good leader. And I had this desire, like, Lord, I want to be a good leader. I want to be a good shepherd. I, I want to bring through good leaders. And then when, when you're, like, trying so hard and you don't feel like it's happening the way you thought it was going to happen, suddenly you're like, what's wrong with me? Right? I want to be a good leader. I want to lead people well. I need to be the guy who has the answers. Right? And it was actually my wife who, who ministered to me where she, somebody came and asked her a question and she answered it by saying, I think you should just go to the Lord and just ask him. And the person was, was quite shocked. Um, and I was so set free. I was like, oh, that's how we do this. Just tell them. <laughs> like, she was just like, you know, I love you. Let me pray with you that you would hear God. And I was like, oh, there's the tool, right? Anyway. So the pressure to be a good leader, and, and here's the thing, you might feel pressures in different things, but I realized this, I was going through the, the Gospels, um, you know, I lie awake at night, like, asking questions like, Lord, you know, how the heck do you want to build your church? You know, like, what are you actually saying? What are you doing? I just talked to him about this stuff, and he had me back in the Gospels, and I'm looking at the, the, the way Jesus deals with people, and here's what blows my mind. Jesus seems to give hardly any instruction to his disciples on how he wants things to be run. It's just not there, right? And it doesn't mean he doesn't like certain things or want things done a certain way. It just means that the way that that happens isn't by him telling you, here's the model. Jesus, John 13, 14, 15, 16, he's preparing his disciples, and I'm going to go, and they're starting to freak out, like, this is not what we discussed, Lord. <laughs> like, you're supposed to get rid of Rome, and he's going, like, I'm actually, I'm leaving, but it's better that I leave because I'm giving you the helper, right, Holy Spirit. And they're not quite catching this, but he's explaining to them, he says, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's going to lead you into all truth. He's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, but you will have him in you and upon you, and he'll lead you into all truth, right? And then so you read this, and this is like, this is the only thing he's really giving his followers. Like, you're going to lead my movement that's going to change the whole world, and here's my instruction. Acts 1, we see Jesus, he's leaving now, and this is what he says. He's like, basically, he says this, don't do anything until you receive him. His instruction to his disciples to lead the movement that's going to change the world is just make sure that you don't do anything until you've received the Holy Spirit. So then the Lord began to speak to me. He said, Connor, where is the pressure to be a good leader coming from? Because it's not from God. In fact, the best leaders are the best followers. What God wants from leaders in the church today is to be first responders first responders. The only way I can actually lead is if I'm quick to respond to him. How am I supposed to be quick to respond to him if I'm not filled? So he said to me, he said, kind of the responsibility of shepherds is to lead people to Jesus to make sure they get filled with Holy Spirit. It's why you can, see, if you trust the Holy Spirit, here's the thing about all of our lives. We say we have Holy Spirit, but we don't really trust him. Because if you trust him, you have confidence that he'll do it. So then you can have confidence to say, actually, I think, let me pray for you that you'd go and hear God because I have confidence in the Holy Spirit that He'd speak to you. And actually, I am not responsible for how you steward your yes. My job is to make sure that you see Jesus and then you must decide what you do with that. Do you know how this liberated me this week? Oh, man, I was excited to come here today. <laughs> because suddenly my heart was like, Lord, 
You didn't, you didn't bring leaders to carry people's yes. You didn't, you didn't uh, you know, appoint leaders to live people's Christian lives for them. <laughs> Our responsibility, you know when it says leaders are accountable for your souls? Do you know what that means? I, I need to make sure that what you hear is the true gospel. Because your life isn't lived in this room. Your life is lived out there. And I'm not going to live your life for you, but I can make sure that you hear the gospel, the grace of God that will transform your life, make you new so you can go out there and live the way that he calls you to live. Right? And then it takes the pressure off of church because I, I have to remind myself, oh, yeah, it's not for us. It's for him. And the byproduct of worshiping him is that we get changed and transformed and equipped and made new. You get what I'm saying? So listen to this. Galatians 3. We're back. And I'm over time. Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry. Are you, is everyone okay? If you have to get up and leave, it's okay, right? I'm not offended, I promise. But I also I, I want to honor the Lord. Is that okay? Okay, cool. I know it's a small room, so it's awkward if you have to get up and leave, but it's okay. <laughs> I'll tell everyone to look the other way while you sneak out. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Oh, you foolish and thoughtless and superficial Galatians. What a word of encouragement, man. Bless you guys. <laughs> Go home. Have a great one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you fool I'm reading out of the Amplified. It just gives more adjectives to tell you how foolish you are, basically. <laughs> oh, you foolish and thoughtless and superficial Galatians, who has bewitched you? I was reading this, and I, I realized my South African culture and humor, like, I just read bewitched as, like, bewitched. You know, you're, you're just, you're confused, right? Till I looked it up, and I'm like, no, 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 hold on. The actual word is witchcraft. It's the same word for a witch. So he's saying, he's saying, he's talking to the Galatians. He's saying, hey, you were birthed in the grace of God. He's saying, where did, where did you allow the influence of witchcraft to come in? What's witchcraft? Any other spirit other than God that we use to try to control, manipulate, intimidate, or dominate, right? He's recognizing this, and guess what witchcraft partners with? Legalism. Because legalism is the, is the best way for me to manipulate your emotions. So he, he brings this up, and it's like, whoa, okay, who's bewitched you? To whom right before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified in the gospel message. This is all I want to ask of you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit as the result of obeying the requirements of the law? Or was it the result of hearing the message of salvation and with faith believing it? He's saying, did, do you receive the Holy Spirit because you achieved something? Or do you see the, receive the Holy Spirit by faith in the finished work of what Jesus has given you? That went straight over your heads. Did we receive the Spirit of Jesus because we did something to get him? Or do we receive Jesus and the Holy Spirit by faith? Which means I get to appropriate and, and make it mine and say, Lord, by faith, that's mine. That's why we can sing songs like, take it. You know, you see that people go like, how can you tell, you can't say that to God. Just take it. No, and God's going like, no, God's saying, take it. I gave it to you. I actually want you to have it. It's my free gift. Have my spirit. I want him inside of you. Take it. Faith. Appropriate by faith. It's mine. And in that comes transformation. So he's asking this question, and then he says this. He says, Are you so foolish and senseless, having begun your new life by faith with the Spirit, are you now being perfected and reaching spiritual maturity by the flesh? Listen to this. Amplified says, That is by your own works and efforts to keep the law. Have you suffered so many things and experienced so much all for nothing? If indeed it was all for nothing. So then does he who supplies you with his marvelous Holy Spirit and works miracles among you do it as a result of the works of the law which you perform or because you believe confidently in the message which you heard with faith? 
This is why the grace of God, we've got to preach the grace of God. When we receive the grace of God, we can believe in the finished work of Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit, and truly walk in the power of His kingdom and see the, the, the kingdom of God and the message of the gospel advanced on the earth. Not because we're trying to achieve anything, but because it's Christ in us. One more scripture. Um, we read, last week we did Galatians 3.13. I want to quickly read Galatians 3.27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, into a spiritual union with the Christ, the anointed, have clothed yourselves with Christ, that is, you have taken on His characteristics and values. It's pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. If you've been baptized with Christ, you've clothed yourselves with Him. If you've been baptized with Christ, you've clothed yourself with Him. So now, when we're dealing with the pseudo, here's the thing. I'm not in intimidated. If right now, if you receive the grace of God and you might be in a place where you've been in this perpetual sin, you're not intimidated by that sin anymore and you're not ashamed of it. Now you're letting the light of the gospel come into that place and reveal the finished work of Jesus that you, don't, you no longer have to be there. Not because you're going to fix yourself, but because Christ already fixed you. He made you whole. Not fixed, made you new. Right? So you get free from sin by looking at Jesus, not by trying to fix yourself. Last thing about the anointing, because when you receive the anointing, you receive the, the, the nature and person of Christ expressed on you and through you, right? Here's the thing about the anointing. You know, sometimes you see guys who do work for it and they, and they go and they'll fast for 100 days and they'll whatever, all these different things to get to that place where God moves upon their lives. And, and the thing is, you'll see God move because of His grace, right? God will still use people like that, even when they begin to press in. You know why? Because the things that they are doing out of performance are actually the things that steward the anointing. They're doing it for the wrong reasons, but the things they are doing is what stewards the anointing. The problem is when you don't understand the fullness of grace and you just take a half message of grace, you've got a group of people who think they don't have to do anything at all. They don't have to steward anything. They're just, we're just covered and we just, everything's all good and I can just carry on living my life the way that it is. And they never see the anointing expressed through their life. Now, if you take someone who catches the revelation of grace and they begin to do the things that steward the anointing, not to prove something to God, but to steward what He's given us, then you begin to see the power of God demonstrated in your life. That's why when, you, when we fast and pray in, in the revelation of grace, it's never to convince God of something. It's to, come, it's to come into agreement with the word of the Lord of what He's saying in that moment. Are you with me? It's to, it's to, sh it's to demonstrate and show His Lordship in my life. So the grace of God, it's so wild, it's so beautiful, it's so incredible. He set, set us free from every bit of performance, every bit of legalism that would try to drive you and push you to achieve or perform in any way. You do not have to perform. You do not have to prove anything to God. You just need to receive Him and believe in what He says you are and walk in that. Are you with me? Holy Spirit. He wants to come upon the church in a fresh way, and it's the grace of God that's preparing us to receive Him. And so we're going to preach the grace of God with everything we got. And when we talk about David's tabernacle, it's important that we understand this, because you have become the temple. <coughs> and so when we come together and we begin to do this, and we enthrone God in a region, we have to have an expectation for the supernatural. Because when we enthrone Jesus together in the grace covenant, the new covenant, we begin to shift the atmosphere around us. Suddenly, visions and dreams can break out like in the Middle East. Suddenly, people are getting saved because God's meeting with them. 
I said this before, when I asked the leaders in the Middle East, why is it that they get dreams and visions and we don't hear? The answer was, well, how many hours a day is your church praying? Because they're doing hours and hours and hours and so the atmosphere is being shifted because they're exalting Jesus in the region and because they know who they are. I'm telling you, if, we, if you'll let yourself dream with God for a second, because of His righteousness, we now can partner with Him to see entire regions shifted supernaturally where we bring the government of heaven that's not coming just through praying for our government. I remember Miles Monroe used to say, uh, it's like praying for a demon to become righteous. And so we spend years and years and years trying to get our government to become righteous instead of understanding that we have a mandate to bring the government of heaven that will bring the righteousness of God to the earth. My prayer for our government is that they'd get saved, not that they'd fix the country. Amen. So Holy Spirit wants to come upon the church first and foremost so that you would receive the revelation of Jesus and be changed. But then secondly, that you would be grafted into the family of God, host His presence and bring about the kingdom of heaven on the earth. And we'll get to all of that. But today, if you can go away with one thing, you don't have to prove yourself to God, receive the grace of God. You'll be changed forever. You are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. You are. Stand with me.